the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Has that happened to you yet? Where you have submitted to the hand of God having rule in your life? Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilbert. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth right from the Bible. For more information, log on to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. Now here's Pastor Steve with today's Core Truth. Well, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 33 and chapter 34 here today. And I entitled this message, Standing. Have you ever thought to yourself, you know, I'm kind of tired of this area of my life. I need to take a stand. Maybe there's been compromise in your life, or maybe the loss that you've suffered is from bad choices that you've made. And now you're feeling the pain of those choices. And you don't like the position that you find yourself in. Well, if that's the case, it was the same case with Jacob. After talking to his brother and talking him out of his birthright over 20 years earlier, and after deceiving his own father Isaac out of the family blessing, Jacob had to leave home, his home and his family in fear of his brother Esau killing him. That's where he hooked up with his mother's brother's family, his mother, Rebecca. Yes, Jacob lived up to his name, which means deceiver. But as we have studied in the last few weeks, he had reaped what he had sown many times over for his new father-in-law, his mother's brother, Laban, had put Jacob into the, well, you could say the presidential seat of the club. Yes, meaning he took advantage of his son-in-law again for almost 20 years. Yet by the grace of God's mercy, God watched over Jacob and gave him a way of getting back at Laban as God blessed him and multiplied his flocks and herds many times over. Then God told Jacob, it's time to leave. It's time to go back home where he was born. But there would be difficulties that he would have to face, namely his brother Esau. Well, he was the reason that Jacob fled his home 20 years ago anyway, again, because Esau wanted to kill him for ripping off his family blessing. But now in obedience to God, Jacob, he gathers his family, his children, his herds, his servants, along with much uncertainty. And by faith, he heads home. That's when he received the news that he didn't want to hear, that his brother Esau was coming to meet him with 400 men. Wow. 400 men and an angry brother, that's not a good combination. 
Well, that put Jacob into a personal tailspin. So he got on his face and he prayed before the Lord. He said, oh God, oh Lord, I am unworthy of your love. I'm going to go home just like you told me to go home, but I'm afraid of my brother. Lord, would you help me here? Deliver me from him. Deliver me from Esau. And as soon as Jacob came out of that time of prayer, he immediately went into damage control. He sent out five droves of animals to his brother. Yes, five droves of animals. He gave five presents to Esau. 580 animals in all, one wave after another here, trying to butter his brother up. Then that's what we ended with last week. And then we had Jacob again, of course, separating himself from everyone else because he couldn't sleep. So he made a little campsite on his own, knowing that he couldn't defend himself or his family from Esau and his 400 men. His heart was racing. His heart was filled with fear. Ever felt like that? And he couldn't do anything else. Like, what am I going to do here? And then right when you think it can't get any worse, you ever thought that? Well, at least it can't get any worse. Oh, it can always get worse. Okay. And it does here for Jacob. I could see him in his little maid camp. He's separated from all of his family and wives and children and all of that. And he's just all by himself. He's got his little campfire going. Then all of a sudden, maybe he's kind of half asleep and, you know, and it's like all of a sudden he looks up and there's a shadow. What was that? It's like there's a stranger in the camp, walks right into the camp in the darkness of the night, and he starts wrestling with him. Talk about creepy. Oh, my goodness. It's like, whoa, who's that? You're half asleep. Whoa. And then you just get into this rough and tumble thing, and you're going back and forth, and you're wrestling with this stranger all night long. Well, this wasn't just any stranger. It wasn't some foe or some enemy. It turned out to be God in bodily form, which means it was an Old Testament sighting of Jesus in the flesh. And after wrestling with God and losing, don't we always lose when we wrestle with God? Jacob came to the end of himself. And he said in Genesis 32, 30, he says, I have seen the face of God Yet my life has been preserved. Yes, God had to get Jacob into a position where he could lose himself, where he would lose himself and stand for God. And that stand was only going to happen after Jacob submitted to the hand of God and the rule of God in his life. I wonder, has that happened to you yet? where you have submitted to the hand of God having rule in your life. Where it's no longer about your will, it's no longer about your purpose, but rather God's will and his purpose for your life. Understand, we have to get there before God can make some serious and much needed changes in our lives. Are you willing to get there? And that's exactly what God did, though, in Jacob's life. Once he got him to the place where he could submit, God changed Jacob's name from Jacob, 
which in the Hebrew means heel catcher, supplanter, deceiver. He changed it to Israel, God's fighter, or he who strives and struggles with God. Notice, he's no longer to struggle against God, but with God. See, there's a big difference there, big difference. And for you Bible students, from right here, Genesis chapter 33, all the way to the end of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 50, God refers to Jacob, his old name, 23 times. Wait a minute, did you change his name? Yeah. Why are you still referring to his old name 23 times? See, he refers to his old name, Jacob, 23 times. He refers to him with his other name, Israel, 22 times. I wonder if it's not because Jacob never really took a complete and total stand for the Lord. Think about it. When God changed Abram's name from Abram to Abraham, he never called Abraham the father of our faith by his old name, Abram, again. Never once, not once. So why would Jacob, do we see God continually referring to him back as Jacob? Maybe maybe it's because Jacob's life looked more like a supplanter deceiver than the one who strives with God, hmm, or God's fighter. Again, I wonder how we fit, you and me, with our new name, because we have a new name also. We've been given this new name. Now we are all called Christian. This was first used of believers in Christ back in Acts eleven twenty six, It says, and the disciples, the students, the followers of Christ, his pupils were first called Christians in Antioch. And then, of course, there was that time in Acts 26, verse 28, when the apostle Paul was standing before King Agrippa in Caesarea Philippi, or actually in Caesarea Maritime, that was right on the Mediterranean Sea, in the amphitheater. And that's where King Agrippa, as Paul was witnessing to him, says, Paul, in a short time, quote, you will persuade me to become a Christian. I wonder how many of us really live up to that new name because Christian means follower of Christ or Christ-like or little Christ. Do we live up to that new name that's been given to us? For there are many, quote, Christians that try to fly under the radar, you could say, hoping that nobody will notice, hoping they can go undetected, living in this world that seems to be devoid of God. But how can we do this? Don't we understand that people are perishing all around us from a lack of knowledge of just how much God really loves and cares for them? We have an individual in our church. His name is Sammy. He usually comes Sunday night, him and his wife, Larissa, and their son. And, you know, and, and he, he, he has this thing. You know, like he, he's always telling people about Jesus. He's always sharing Christ. And so he sends me videos of people that give their life to Christ. So on Friday, he's at the gym. And so he leads this guy named Rick to Christ. And so he gets, he gets his phone out and says, hey, yeah, t- tell Pastor Steve what just happened. I just gave my life to Jesus. <laughs> it's like, and so I'm like, this is great, you know? So, I mean, how do you respond to that? That is awesome. And it's just, but he does this because wherever he's at, he's a light that shines for Christ. 
He's not trying to, you know, keep his light under a bushel. He's not trying to hide who he is in Christ. But let me ask you here today, are you really aware of how much impact that we could really make every day if we just simply took a stand and thought about how much of our normal day, our day in and day out lifestyle could really affect someone else's life? A kind attitude, a gentle spirit, a giving personality, followed by opening our mouth about the Savior that saved us. See, any time in the scripture, you know, you have a guy like Philip and, you know, God uses him over here or whatever. Or you have a guy like Stephen, who were those, those elders and deacons that were being raised up under the original pastors in Acts 6. And it always says that God puts them somewhere. And what does it say next? It says, and they opened their mouth. It's just, they opened their mouth. They just started talking about what was their favorite subject. And that was the Lord God, the Savior, and and just like to talk about that. Aren't you glad that someone shared Christ with you? Yes, I know I've missed many opportunities in my life. There's been times and, and I've missed them. Yet the older I get, the more the Lord has shown me how much I need to take every opportunity. But let me ask you again, what name do you most closely resemble in this life if we were really being honest? We are in church, by the way, so let's be honest here. What would be the name that you would go under? Non-believer? Good person? Wild child? Heathen? Pagan? Mr. or Mrs. Self-Righteous? Or do you go by your new name, Christian, follower of Christ, Christ-like, little Christ. Well, it's something to think about. It's been said in the past, if we were accused of being a Christian, think about that. Someone accused you of being a Christian. I'm going to take you to court. I'm going to sit there and have a judge and a jury. Would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? Oh, yes, here you are in the courtroom. There's the judge up there. There's all of these peers there in the jury box. And all of a sudden, they start bringing up people from your work, family members, people that live next door to you, people that see you at the grocery store. And all of a sudden, all these people start coming up, and they start laying out their testimony as they're, you know, asked, is this person a Christian? What have you seen in their life? Would some of those people say, Christian? What's a Christian? Christ-like. Like being a little Christ. Like, what? Him? Her? Are you kidding me? Let me tell you what they did to me the other day. Let me tell you how they treat me as their next-door neighbor. Let me tell you how they treat me as a co-worker at work. It's like, what would they say? Or would those people that came forward, would they say, oh, Absolutely. Man, they're, they're always telling me about Jesus. It's like always having the best attitude. I want to be grumpy and frumpy, and they come in with a smile. Hi. Yeah, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. What would be the testimony of everyone you know as they came before you? Would they be, would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? Well, this isn't meant to, you know, defeat you. You might be thinking like, okay, well, pastor, I came to church to get uplifted and I'm feeling pretty bummed out about right now. 
Well, it's not meant to defeat you. It's just a little self-examination. The Bible says, you know, to scrutinize our own lives. And if you've been a little slack in your Christian walk or a little anemic in your Christian walk, don't be condemned. Just consider this a little wake-up call and then start changing. Because today can be the first day of really starting to move forward in a right relationship with God. Today can be a fresh new start over, a reboot, you could say. But moving on into our text here today, again, last time we left off with Jacob fearing for his life. Why? Because he's reaping what he has sown. Because the chickens, as some have said, have come home to roost. All of his stealing from his brother Esau from over 20 years earlier is coming back to haunt him now. His servant says Esau's coming and he's got 400 men with him. Well, let's look at our point, a time to stand, as we read together, picking up here in Genesis chapter 33, we'll start in verse 1. It says, then Jacob lifted his eyes and he looked, behold, his worst nightmare, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids, and he put the maids and their children in front, and Leah and her children next, and Rachel And Joseph last, but he himself, he passed on ahead of them and he bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept and he lifted up his eyes and he saw the women. This is Esau, of course, and the children. And he said, who are these with you? So he said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maids came near with their children and they bowed down. And Leah likewise came near with her children and they bowed down. And afterwards, Joseph came near with Rachel and they bowed down. Verse eight. And he said, what do you mean by all of this company, which I've met? Of course, he's talking about those five droves and the 580 animals that he was buttering them up with. And Jacob said, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, hey, I have plenty, my brother. You know, let what you have be your own. And Jacob said, no, please. If I have found favor in your sight, then take my present from the hand, from my hand. And I see your face as one sees the face of God. And you have received me favorably. I'm like, oh, thank you. I thought I was going to be dead right now. Please take my gift, which I have brought to you. Because God has dealt graciously with me. And because I have plenty. Thus, Jacob urged his brother Esau, and Esau took it. But we'll stop there for a moment. Now, think about all Jacob thought about the days and the weeks before this meeting. How he swindled his older brother. See, sometimes when you look back on something that you did really bad before, it's like you don't realize how bad it is until you start thinking about the consequences I'm going to go back. My brother's going to kill me. You know what? I was a dirty dog. I did something really bad to him. I I ripped off the family blessing. And now I've had to reap what I've sown for all these 20 years. You know, how the last thing his brother said concerning Jacob was, again, I'm going to kill that little brother of mine. And let's not forget, Esau could do it. You know, he was a hairy guy, the Bible says. He was a burly man. 
Esau was a hunter, an outdoorsman. He was tough. He was a man's man. Yet Jacob growing up was the polar opposite. He was kind of like, well, a mama's boy. He helped out in the kitchen. While Esau was out hunting wild animals, Jacob was, well, (laughs) he's baking a cake with his mama. Okay? It's just the way it was. So Jacob had every reason to be concerned here. But know this. No matter how much worry... No matter how much we deserve to be fearful and afraid, all that anxiety, all of that worry, that heartache that was ripping them up on the inside, can't sleep at night. None of it could change the outcome of anything. That's why Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 to not worry as believers. Why? For it discounts and it cheapens our faith in Christ. Yes, life is more than what we eat, what we drink, and everything else around us. That's why Jesus, in the context of Matthew chapter 6, says, You worry about so many things, what you eat, what you drink, what you wear, all of these things. He says, look, we've been created in God's image. And don't worry about tomorrow. Don't be anxious. Don't be consumed with fear about tomorrow. For each day has enough trouble of its own. See those little bumper stickers one day at a time? Well, God did that. They ripped it off from Lord Jesus. Okay? He says, don't be anxious for tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. One day at a time. And there is so much more to this life. God desires us to really know him to walk with him, to worship him, to serve him. The Bible teaches us not to worry, to not be tormented with the cares and the concerns of this life, but rather to lift those things up to the Lord in much prayer. Prayer is just a, it's communicating with God. It's a, it's a code word for, hey, we're talking to God. But see, God wants us to do our part. See, God gives us an our part and a his part. It's an our part, and there's a God's part. Now, it's not that God is saying God helps those who pull up their own bootstraps. No, that's not what he's saying. He's just saying, I've given an order of the way I want things done. If you do it in the order that I tell you, then I will help you. That's what he's saying there. So what is the order of prayer here? Now, in Philippians 4, 6, he says this. Be anxious for nothing. How about that? It's a commandment. It's in a command sense. Stop being anxiety worried. God is telling you, stop it. Stop being anxiety filled. He says, be anxious for nothing but by prayer, supplication. Let these things be known unto God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will fill your heart and your mind. So did you get that? So it's like, what are we to do? Number one, don't be anxious. Don't be anxiety-filled, but you, this is your part. This is my part. Let's go to the Lord with prayer and bring these things to him, okay? That's your part. So that's what God's saying. I want you to do this, and I want you to do it by faith. You, when you do that, then I'm going to do my part. And what is his part again? Philippians 4, 7. And then the peace of God. The quiet understanding, the serenity of God. It's going to fill you, and it's not just going to fill part of you. It's going to fill your heart that is heavy burdened and your mind. It's going to fill your heart and your mind. Notice, God not only fills our heart with peace, 
But he fills our mind. Why? Because our minds have a tendency to do what? Keep thinking about it. The wheels are moving and it's tormenting us. We can't sleep at night. What if this happens? What if that happens? It's like he fills our hearts and our minds. And how much peace does God promise us? Enough. Enough that will surpass all comprehension. That simply means it transcends our human intellect. Meaning, I should be a mess right now. I should be falling apart at the seams, but I'm not. Because God has given me a peace that transcends how big my circumstances are. Yes, and notice it sets a guard around our hearts, he said. That word guard comes in the original Greek word that it's a military term. And it means to keep watch over us. It's like he has set a guard around us. Understand, only God's peace can truly keep a lasting guard over us from anxiety and fear. But we must embrace this by faith. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilbur of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Truth is sponsored by and is a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you've been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org. Or you can mail your support to P.O. Box 34789, Los Angeles, California, 90034. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.